I trust that you brought the word with you this morning, so I want to invite you to turn to Judges chapter 2. And I want to invite you to put your finger there on verse 8. Uh, and then we're going to jump to verse 10 and read 10 through, uh, 10 through 11, or 10 through 13 actually. So we go to Judges chapter 2, looking at, at, at verse, verse 8, and then we go to verse 10. And, and we're, we're continuing with our, our series on God's Word. And of course, it's God's Word to whatever that particular role might be for that week. And of course, we're talking about God's Word to young people this morning. And I need to add a disclaimer. I mentioned it last Sunday, but the disclaimer is that no matter what generation that you are a part of, God's truth is eternal. Amen? That God's truth transcends those generations. And if there is truth that is there that seems to be, you know, appropriate for those that are young, whether we are teenagers or young adults or college students, then there is a truth there that is also relevant to those that are in their 80s. I had a couple precious elderly ladies say, well, pastor, are we excused today from the sermon because we're, you know, in our 80s? And I said, oh, no, 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 because why? God's truth is eternal, and we understand that. So we're going today look at God's word in regards to what it is that, that maybe it's saying to young people. In fact, as I was thinking about, you know, that idea, God's word, young people, I, I thought about my life, and I thought about my experiences, and I thought, well, some of my life, you know, might be helpful. Some of it might be just kind of a waste of time. And, and if I say, okay, here's, here's, you know, really, here's the answer, and, and maybe, you know, for some it would work, and then for some it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't work. And so I, I understand how, you know, how, how much I fall short. I understand that. So what I want to do this morning is just share with you my very best advice. Now, it may not be the best advice in the world, but it's my best advice. And I just have a few thoughts for you. And, and so I'm going to share these thoughts and I'm just going to say, okay, here's, here's a thought. I mean, here's the first thing that I have to say. And then here's the second thing and so forth and so on. So this is my very best advice this morning to young people. And here is the first thing that I'd have to say to young people this morning, and that is stop chasing cool. <laughs> stop chasing cool. I, I love a, a book written by a friend of mine by the name of Brett Rickey, who's an Nazarene pastor. He wrote a book called Chasing Cool. And he says in the book that the reality in our culture today is that we are all still Playing tag. I mean, you remember the game when you were in grade school and you went out at recess and you played tag that, you know, of course you'd take somebody and then they'd run around and try to tag other people. You know, I love the game at that age because, you know, this might be a shock to you, but I was kind of small when I was in elementary school. But though I was small, I was fast, lickety-split. And in fact, I was the first chosen to be on the dodgeball team. When I was in high school, they had me as the pitch runner because I could steal bases like nobody else. I mean, I was a fast little guy. But what really got under my skin during elementary school when we played tag outside is that there was this girl, and I think I'm remembering her name right, but her name was Cherie Slingman. Her dad was a veterinarian there in town. Her name was Cherie Slingman, and she could always tag me. She was faster than I, and I hated it. You remember how you remember the fast kids in elementary school? In fact, the boy's name... uh, the boy's name that was the fastest in school, you know, I said it in the first service, I can't remember it, uh, Brent, I want to say Brent Peterson, no, that's a Nazarene guy. Anyways, I can't remember the first boy's name or uh, what I said this morning. Anyhow, 
It's going to pop in my head at some time, and I'll blare it. I'll just shout it out, and you'll understand what I'm saying. But anyhow, the fastest kid in school, he was there. She was the fastest girl in school. And so, you know, it was cool in elementary school. I'm trying to make a point. In elementary school, it was cool to be the fastest in school. I mean, it was cool to be the fastest. And you'd think we'd be done with that, but when we get to high school, that kind of shifts into high school also. And it's not tag, we're not having recesses, but in high school, we're still kind of chasing cool because it's cool to be cool. I mean, it's cool to have the right clothing. It's cool to drive the coolest car. It's cool to have the right girlfriend. I mean, you know, we're still kind of chasing cool. And so we get caught up in the cycle where, you know, we, we have this, this, this thing in us that is driving us to be it. You know, to be the one, to be the one that everybody wants to be like. And we see that begin to cycle, not only in high school where there's this whole popularity thing where we're kind of chasing cool, but we see that even move into adulthood where all of a sudden we're trying to keep up with the Joneses and we're trying to be, you know, maybe trying to be it. I like what one man said. He said sometimes as he watches society, man is like a man that's trying to go up a down escalator. And we're huffing and puffing and we're trying to get somewhere and trying to, you know, keep up trying to be it. And we're getting nowhere at all and we're just spinning our wheels. And, and it's not unusual to say that because we can notice that even people in the Bible, listen now, even people in the Bible missed out on God's best due to the fact they were chasing things other than God. In fact, let's go to our passage this morning. Let's go to uh, Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And verse 8 kind of gives us the context. We begin to read there at verse 8. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. Now, that's, that's pretty old. But remember, uh, this has given us the context that Joshua, that was leading God's people, he had led them across the Jordan when God held the waters back into the promised land, the land of flowing with milk and honey and all the victories and all the fighting and all the things that happened with God's people. And God was moving mightily and powerfully for God's people. I mean, Joshua was ahead of all that. But here is the context that Joshua, now that had taken over for Moses, now Joshua had passed. Joshua had died. And then we pick up at verse 10. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because they had forgot. Remember, they had forgot what God had done in the previous generation. They'd forgot how the God had delivered his people into the promised land. And now, you know, things were just kind of becoming normal. I mean, the rhythm of everyday life. And then they, they, they forget. They knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the bells. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Asherahs, which was idolatry, of course. Let us pray. Precious Father, I thank you for the word today. I thank you for speaking to our hearts. I thank you for the challenge that is always before us when we look at your truths and your precepts. I, I pray that, Father in heaven, that you would stir that one heart this morning that needs to be stirred. I pray, Father, that we'll be reminded of things that maybe we know already, but we've forgotten. And so the very basic things of your word come back to life, even as we listen to the word that's being read this morning. So, Father, I pray that your anointing would be upon this reading and that, Lord, that you'll be glorified 
as we think about what it means for us. So we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name and all God's people said, Amen. Now, there are some things that we learn from this passage, okay? We, get, we have the context. We see what's happening with the next generation. And so there are some things that we can learn or we can apply to our life this morning from, from this scripture. And, and I want to invite you just to make note of those. You have a place there in the bulletin that you can do that. And here's the first thing that we want to recognize or this passage teaches us. And that is this. Every generation must experience God for themselves. How many believe that this morning? Say amen. That every generation, listen, teenagers, every generation must experience God for themselves. I mean, that's serious stuff. I mean, we understand that Joshua and those and the children of, of Joshua, they, they experienced the stories and the things of God. And, and, and he went through that whole process. I remember as a, a teenager, my, my dad used to share with me his experiences as a soldier, really as a sailor in World War II. And he would sit down and he would talk with me and talk about, you know, being in the Battle of Midway. People read about that in the history books. And my dad was in the Battle of Midway. He was a chief electrician on a, an aircraft carrier. And he told me about his experiences and about the Battle of Midway and how he put out this fire. And he got a medal for doing that. And, and, then, and then it was fun when I watched my father. Now, bear with me. I watched my father begin to interact with another man that was in the Navy. And he was on another ship in the, the Battle of Midway. And my dad's ship was here. And this other man's ship was over here and and now it's you know 40 50 years later we're in church in potluck and my father and this other sailor were talking about this in their 80s and and, and this one here my dad talked about watching a kamikaze plane fly into this battleship and this this literal this pilot literally killed himself gave his life as he crashed into the ship over here and 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 my dad and his new friend now at this church discovered that he was on this ship while my dad was over on this ship. And now they were 50 years later reminiscing about those experiences right or wrong. But the fact is, I remember the stories that my father shared with me about that past history. And because of that, it was carried on and, and is carried forth in my mind. And, and yet today, even as this nation goes, as we know at, in this nation how we were founded on godly and spiritual principles. And there was a time that we said this is a Christian nation. But yet, if the story is not told, how do we carry that forward? Amen. And so we recognize that, that every generation is capable. This is the second idea here. That, that every generation is capable of memory loss. Every generation is capable of memory loss. Look at the passage. What do we read there? Back to the word. They did not remember the things that God had done. They did not remember the things that God had done. And so for some reason, that next generation did not hear the stories. That next generation did not experience the the faith stories that that generation before them, Joshua's generation, had experienced themselves. And so all of a sudden they begin to forget what it is that God had done for his people. I mean, this is why it's important that we share our stories. This is why it's important that we we give our testimonies, Molly, and we talk about what Jesus has done for us. And, and, and we say and we share how Jesus story intersects our story and our life is transformed because of the story of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so we recognize here is a very true fact, again, that every generation is capable of memory loss. This is why we need to tell the story. The third thing that we learn from this passage is that every generation will chase after something. Look at the passage again. Go back to the word. We read there, they abandoned God. They abandoned God and they chased after other things. 
You see, what happened is they were, they were caught up in the game of tag. They were chasing cool. And the challenge I have for us is to stop chasing cool. And God's chosen people at this point, they're chasing the next big thing, the next idol, the next, this God that they were going to worship. And, and the direction here is that this generation was worshiping the God of Baal. And folks, by the way, the God of Baal is more than just a little statue that's sitting on the coffee table. The God of Baal, it encapsulates the idea of a God of pleasures or a God of rain or a God of fertility. And the idea that if we get the right God, if we can put up the right kind of statue, then all, all our needs will be met. But what we are reminded, amen, what we are reminded of this morning is the fact that in the midst of life and as we are seeking truth, that there is really only one answer. There's only one that really satisfies, and that one that really satisfies is Jesus Christ. Amen. I, I think, you know, when it comes to God's truth, we're sometimes like a, a young person that, that's thinking that mom and dad don't know anything. And I know none of our young people believe that. I understand that. But I, it's like, you know, seeking God's truth is like a young person thinking that mom and dad don't know anything. Because I'm a, an adult now. I'm a man or I'm a woman. And then time passes and life knocks off the rough edges. And then we begin to think a little bit, well, maybe mom and dad does know a little bit. <laughs> and then a little bit more time passes, more experience happens. And then we begin to think, well, you know, maybe mom and dad does know something. And maybe I don't know very much. And the older you get and the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything at all. That's where I'm at. <laughs> And it's interesting that God's truth kind of processes, it unfolds exactly in the same way that his life, you know, knocks off the rough edges. We begin to really realize how much we we need God. And that maybe chasing cool really is not the answer. Because you say, well, what does that mean? I mean, chasing cool, it means it means doing what we think is best. That's what chasing cool means. It means doing what we think is best. Or chasing cool means doing what makes us acceptable to others. Well, well, my best advice this morning is figure out what is acceptable to God, not your friends, not Hollywood, not society, not your workplace. Find out what is best and acceptable in God's eyes. And I believe that life will be a whole lot better. Amen. I mean, what is cool after all? I mean, who decides on what is in or what is out? Can we not see that things switches and change? I mean, can we not see that what we think is cool now in a couple of years won't be cool at all? You see, because there is a price for chasing cool. I mean, advertisers, they're the best at it. They, they create this, this need, this need that we have. At least they think we have this need about fashion or food or whatever it is. And then they say, hey, I've got the product to fill this need. And so there's this superficial thing that is circling kind of like overhead that is sucking us into the vortex of what we think is it or cool. And ladies and gentlemen, it all falls short. We look in Jeremiah. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. And I want to remind you what verse 11 says, or as we read it, we read this together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's God saying this. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And then we have to remember Psalms chapter 23 in the first three verses where we begin to read there. The Lord is my shepherd and I shall what not be in want. Think about that. I mean, I mean, process that what what it really means. If, if the word of God is saying this to us and promise, promising us 
about God and her relationship with him. I mean, what does that really mean when it shakes down into life itself? And he is saying, he is promising that you shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. So we recognize that when all else does not satisfy, there's only one that satisfies. There's only one that can really meet our needs. There's only one that can really be the Lord that we need. And that one is Jesus Christ. So what is my advice? My best is stop chasing cool. That's the first thing. The second thought I have is a little bit disjointed from the first one, but it's, an, it's important. It's relevant. Here's the second thing, young people. Know what's right with the church. <laughs> I mean, we're good at, at knowing what's wrong with the church. We're good about, you know, pointing out the things that we don't like about church. But this is my best advice to you. Really learn and know what's right with the church. I mean, for me, I've always attended church and I grew up that way. And and so I remember coming to a time in my life where I I had to ask the question, why am I going to church? I mean, why am I in the church of the Nazarene Or, or, or why would I even want to raise my family in the church? And so I began to ask this question of myself and began to process this. If this is this is. This is what I want to do. I mean, why would I raise my family in the church? Thinking about that, my mind rushed back to the the very beginning and the early experiences of my church time and my church experience and encounter with other people. I I began to think about a a Fourth of July picnic. I remember attending when I was about 10 years of age. Mom and dad took us out to some park out in the woods there in Oregon. And we went to this this all church Fourth of July picnic. And you can imagine what that was like. And the ladies preparing the food and some of the men helping. And and maybe some of the guys were playing horseshoes and and badminton over here. And and the the kids, I mean, the kids, we were running around with sweat, just running down our face like crazy and in the midst of all that we were probably being a little bit mischievous well some buddies and i i was 10 years of age we decided to bring some things with us it was the fourth of july and so we brought some boxes of these little things i think they're called poppers or poppets or something like that they're poppers it's a little box about 25 cents back then and and you have these little these little things that are really made of tissue paper and inside there's like gunpowder and sand. You know what I'm talking about? You throw them on the ground, and they pop, right? You throw them down on the pop or you, you throw them on the table and they pop and they scare people and we laugh and all that. Well, anyhow, it was at that 4th of July picnic that I experienced one of my earliest memories of church and because it was the church family and, and we were running around playing with these poppers and, and there was a man by the name of Mr. Stagy. That was just slick bald. I mean, he, he was shiny bald. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. Sorry if I'm offending anybody here this morning. But anyways, shiny bald. And he had noticed as I was running around that my shoe lace had become untied. And so Mr. Steggy, he stopped and he, he grabbed me to tie my shoe and he bent down to tie my shoe. Being a nice man that he was to tie my shoe. My shoe was untied and that bald head was right there in front of me. And I had one of these poppers in my fingers, 10 years of age. That's a little hyper. And, you know, this thing, this, this thought just popped in my head. And the thought was, I wonder if I can pop this popper on this guy's head. And so I did that. I threw the popper and it hit him about right here, about right here. And the thing exploded and the sand hit the inside of his glasses. He had glasses on the end of his nose right here. The sand hit the inside of his glasses and the sand went into his eyes. Oh, it was a crisis. 
And now his eyes are watering and the pastor is kind of, he notices what's happening. So the pastor comes over and he's kind of firm, <laughs> say the least. And, you know, I'm worried they're going to tell dad and I'm going to get a spanking. My dad's going to beat me and it's going to be oh, bad. But, you know, those guys, the pastor and Mr. Stegey, they didn't tell my parents. I had to tell my parents years later. And then, you know, Mr. Stegey, I knew that he hated me. I knew that he was going to be mad at me. I knew it was going to be horrible. But you know how Mr. Stegey responded once he got his eyes stopped from watering and cleaned his eyes out with water and got his glasses back on and, and I was just feeling really bad. The pastor was making me apologize. And you know what Mr. Stegey's response was? His response was to put his arm around me and say, oh, I know what it's like being a kid. He said, Tony, don't worry about it. I love you. And he held me close. You see, that earliest experience of, of someone that was the church was a reminder of the grace, the love, and the forgiveness of my Father in heaven. You see, that's what the church should be. It should be the experience that, that God is a gracious God and that, that God is a God that became flesh and dwelt among us and a God that would sacrifice himself upon the cross so that we might have everlasting life. And in those earliest experiences I, that I had about church and people of churches, that I was learning about the grace of God. And folks, what I want to ask without the church, where does one learn grace? I mean, how does one hear or become a part of the Jesus story in isolation? You see, the earliest experiences introduced to me more than the idea of Jesus, but it introduced to me the persons of Jesus and the person that we encounter in relationship is to be that person of Jesus Christ within the realm and the experience of, of what we call church. And really, the church is supposed to be Jesus. It's not a sociological function. It's not just only salvation. I mean, it is about salvation, but it is about more than that. As one author writes, he says it is this treasure that we have in earthen vessels. And that earthen vessel then becomes the hands of Jesus and the feet of Jesus. And we become Jesus to other people and we share the love of Jesus Christ that way. One mission statement is to learn how to love God and neighbor better. To learn to how, how to love God and neighbor better. And the significance of this can be understood by thinking about a governor who may pardon a criminal. I mean, think about that. A governor that may pardon a criminal. You see, the pardon itself does not guarantee changed behavior. It doesn't guarantee that. See, the beauty of the church is that it provides the nurturing, loving structure for possible growth and movement towards a possible new outcome and behavior. It is God's intention to provide that community in forgiveness and it enables a new outcome as we experience the transformation power. We were singing about that, the transformation power of Jesus Christ in our lives. So there is a spiritual formation in us that we become more like Christ and we become the hands of Christ and we become the feet of Christ. You say, well, pastor, what's your best advice? The best advice is know what's right. Young people, know what's right with the church. And you know what's right with the church. It's worth saying, I'm going to raise my family in church. I'm going to be a person that directs the ones that I love to church. And then we can become that church that God has called us to be. And the fact is, you see, you, you make the church what it is. Young people, you make the church what it is. 
Together, we make the church what it is, as God has called us to be the church. So that's the second thing. Here's the last idea, and this is important. I mean, this is big. Know that God has a gift for you, young people. Know that God has a gift for you, and that gift is that he puts in you this desire to learn, this desire to grow in him more. And he does that through the Holy Spirit, and he he presents to us that spirit that teaches us and guides us. And in fact, in John chapter 16, verse 13, we read, he will guide you into all what? He will guide you into all truth. You see, the Holy Spirit gives you the desire for that. The Holy Spirit gives you the desire for truth. He gives you desire to learn and to know who God is. And the Holy Spirit leads you. And by the way, he leads you when you're not even aware that he's leading you. And it's the Holy Spirit leading you and helping you have the impressions that you have and the encounter that you have. In fact, the more the Holy Spirit guides you, listen, the more the Holy Spirit guides you, the more sensitive you become to the voice of the Holy Spirit. The more you know the Holy Spirit, the more you walk with the Holy Spirit, the more that you can hear the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You can ask God. You can ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. You can ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. The Holy Spirit will do all those things. That is give God God's gift to us. Amen. A few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I'd shared this with our women's event that happened on a Saturday, last Saturday. And uh, on a Wednesday and Thursday, I had prayed for the Lord to show me somebody to invite to mission church. I mean, I get just this bug in my mind and I want to, I want to introduce somebody to Jesus. I want to invite somebody to church. And so for, for Wednesday and Thursday, I had prayed, Lord, show me somebody to invite to mission church of the Nazarene. He'll answer that prayer. So I prayed that way. And then on Friday morning, I was filling my truck up with fuel, with gas. And for some reason, the uh, gas machine, the gas pump was not taking my card. I knew my card was good. Or there's a guy on the other side of the gas pump. His name was Roger. Did not know that at the time, but I found out his name was Roger and he was having the same problem. So Roger and I, we go into the convenience store there and we talked to him about there's a problem. And so they said, well, how much do you want? We gave him the figure and we went back out to the pumps and Roger went to his side and I went to my side And because of that kind of that experience, just walking in and walking out together, I thought, well, maybe this is the one that God wants me to invite to Mission Church. So so I struck up a conversation and he said his name is Roger. I said, my name is Tony. And we spoke a little bit. And then I thought, "Okay, this is the chance. And so I I pulled out my wallet and I I took one of my new cards and I was just about to hand it to him. While I was doing that, I said, uh, I, I want to invite you to my church. I had not handed the card to him yet. I said, I want to invite you to my church. And he says, oh, he says, I have a church. And I said, you do. Well, where do you go to church? He says, I go to Mission Church of the Nazarene. <laughs> I go, well, I'm the new pastor and I want to invite you to come to Mission Church of the Nazarene. Oh, we haven't been coming for a while. And I said, oh, it's time to come. Come home. I want to invite you to Mission Church of the Nazarene. And, 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 you know, the Lord just provided that in perfect timing. A reminder to that man that Jesus loves him. And ladies and gentlemen, the fact is, God will answer prayer. I remember at 15 years of age, and the pastor was preaching at Nampa First Church, and I don't know what he's preaching about, but he paused and said, somebody needs to testify and say something. And I went to the front of the church, and I proclaimed for the very first time that God had called him to be a pastor at 15 years of age. God speaks to young people. And young people, God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. And I praise the Lord that if we are listening, God will speak to us 
And God will help us be his hands and God will help us be his feet as we become everything that Jesus has called us to be so that we might be Jesus to the community around us. Let's listen for the voice of God, for God wants to speak. I want to invite us just to stand and I want to invite us to prepare our hearts for a, a time of responding to him. And Pastor Jeff is going to come and lead us in our response time. But, you know, God, he he knows what he's doing. <laughs> By the way, God, God is sovereign. It's not an accident that God brought Larry to minister to us during that interim period to give you the, the words of encouragement and love that you needed. It's not an accident that God has brought you here in the sanctuary because God is doing something. He's doing something in your church and he wants to do something to you. And I believe that the first response for us is to listen. To listen because God speaks. And he speaks to young people. And he calls young people. He spiritually forms young people. He's speaking to you today. And I want to invite us as we respond to God. Pastor Jeff leaves it. Leads us. I love Pastor Jeff, by the way. He's a great guy. As he leads us. And you respond. Listen. Listen to what the Lord has to say.